0: welcome to mormon visual culture a podcast presented by the Zion art society and hosted by me micah christensen this year we celebrate the 50th anniversary of president spencer w kimball's landmark talk the gospel vision of the arts through discussions with prominent artists collectors and scholars about artwork that has inspired them and shaped lds culture today we present a discussion with the painter colby sanford Colby is at the beginning of his career, but he's been getting a lot of attention, showing up in solo exhibitions and also in the major contests, including the recent Spring Salon and Spirituality and Religious Show at the Springville Museum of Art. I had a great time talking with Colby about his his background, his growing up, and uh, his uh, recent trip to the Far East where he and his wife lived. He has a very interesting story to tell, and it accompanies his art, which, in my opinion, is some of the most original and interesting work going on today. Colby Sanford, we're very excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell us about the piece you've chosen. First of all, tell us what the piece is that you have chosen. So this piece um, is a piece by Bruce
1: Bruce Hickson Smith, and... It is called Jacob and Leah. I chose this piece because recently, uh, going through the exhibit interpretation thereof at BYU.
0: Great uh, exhibit.
1: It is, it's amazing. And, and this one really
0: just stood out as a, as a piece that I connected with. So this is always hard to answer. I, I have a hard time answering it myself when somebody asks me why I like something because um, it's not always an intellectual reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but if you had to articulate why this jumped out to you, of all the pieces, of all the fabulous pieces that are in that show, why did this one jump out to you? Well, I tend to be
1: a quiet person. Um, somebody who is... I kind of take a back seat and just observe a little bit. And I find it tends to help me to realize or think about my reactions and my emotions to things. And I find that I react really well to figurative works. And there's always just something going off in my head when I see a piece that has a figure in it. And I don't know if it's because I have me being a human, seeing another human, you know, there's, there's that connection there. I don't know if that makes it so that I have a greater connection over say a a landscape or a still life, um, but that right off the bat, figure painting pulls me in. And there's a lot of figure painting in that show. There is there is quite a bit. In fact, as you walk in, you have the J. Kirk Richards piece, and that's three figures right there. Um, but if you look just past it, off to the off to the left, you see this piece. And I don't know if it just goes along with with my own my own search image or my own what what I'm what I'm feeling or what I'm looking at but just a quiet moment. I mean this is these are two people in a domestic scene that really say a lot with just being there. It's it, it's not it's not not a lot of motion, you don't have strong lines or or anything. It just is a quiet moment and for some reason those tend to be the things that really
0: speak loudest to me so let's let's describe this painting let's talk about what the subject is but first let's just describe it so you've got um you've got two figures in the scene and they couldn't be they could almost not be farther apart Mm -hmm. in the scene itself you've got a man sitting in a chair in contemporary clothing i think this was probably painted 80s um bruce hickson smith professor at byu Mm -hmm. we've talked about him a little bit on the show before but he's a graduate of University of Utah and BYU with degrees in art and um, he's he runs the gamut from things that are he what he called objective academic realism mm-hmm. to far more abstract works yeah and he's done everything from etchings lith- lithography to to acrylics and this is an oil painting as I understand it mm-hmm. it's a fairly good size too I mean we're talking what like 50 by 30.
1: Yeah, so about it's, that. It's um, it's bigger than that. I mean, it's, it's actually bigger than that? it's probably
0: seventy probably,
1: by forty. Yeah, probably something probably something more in that in that range. And it's, it's uh, it's it's something. And it, interestingly enough, it's actually two panels
0: that are butted up next to each other. You see the panel. Um, I think that's a deliberate choice too, yes. right? Yeah, it's got to be a deliberate choice. Yeah, he is sitting there. There's a plant and a table and a chair in between them. He's sitting down. He looks um nonplussed what's the word i'm looking for he looks um bored unhappy disgruntled Mm -hmm. and she is she's in a posture that is 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 almost um it's like she's given up a little bit it's a little Mm um meek meek kind of and and this is the the story of, of of that he's chosen from jacob and leah um, do you want to tell it, or do you want me to tell you it? You go. You you got this. You want me to go ahead? Mm-hmm. Okay. So as we know, Jacob, the patriarch son of uh, of Isaac, he uh, was the younger of two brothers. Esau was the older brother. He liked to hunt. wasn't a great he <laughs> wasn't wasn't a great uh, spiritual figure. And then mm-hmm. Jacob, who uh, was the second son, um, was the great spiritual figure. And he was sent by his mother to go. And get a wife from her brother, Laban. Mm -hmm. This is in Genesis. I can't remember exactly which chapter. But um, he goes, and when he arrives at Laban's household, there's a well. And when he sits at the well, a woman brings him water, who he's immediately taken with, and it is Rachel, Leah's younger sister, the youngest daughter Mm -hmm. of, of Laban. Jacob immediately falls in love, strikes a bargain with Laban, his uncle, to marry Rachel, the youngest daughter, and the agreement they come to is that seven years of labor, then he can marry Rachel. He does his seven years of labor, and um, when he uh, when he gets um, uh, to that when he gets to the marriage, Laban pulls a bait and switch. Last minute, he switches out Rachel for the older sister Leah, who was actually mm-hmm. betrothed to Esau, the older brother. Mm -hmm. And um, he says, sorry, Jacob, but you can't marry off the younger wife until the older wife's married. You're basically doing your brother's obligation since he fell off the map. But if you want to marry Rachel, you can do that too. It's a polygamous culture, um, but you have to work another seven years. Yeah. So here we've got an unhappy Jacob, Mm -hmm. and we've got Aaliyah, who is not feeling very loved or accepted or wanted yeah. in this work. Yeah, and she's just kind of there, and he's kind of, I don't
1: know, just more of it, just a, hmm. Just yeah. that kind of a feel. It just kind of
0: deflated and just, huh. You feel so bad for Leah in the story, and you feel yeah. so bad for both. And yeah, I guess you feel bad for both of them. He's done a good job making you feel sympathy for both of them in this, mm-hmm. I think.
1: Yeah, and I think that, I mean, for me, I'm like, well, show. Sure. I mean, yes, I think I feel worse for Leah than than for Jacob. I do too. Um, and yeah, it's it's just it's interesting that's uh That's what we get. We get the clue from the title of what of what this is. Separate the title and separate any other context, and this could be. Anybody, yeah. so so um, amazing to. To get that context, though, and all of a sudden, we have that cognitive uh, preset, the story that we already know that we can all of a sudden put onto these
0: figures. Yeah. Such an interesting concept. I like the idea of the two panels abutting one another and being mm-hmm. pushed together. I like that he's, you know, this This is something that I feel like we owe. I, I, I'm, I, let me back up. Yeah. My mind goes all over the place. I'm so excited you chose this painting because I'm I'm writing an essay right now, oh, great. preparing for this Zion Art Invitational where we have, mm-hmm. we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Gospel Vision of the Arts talk by Spencer W. Kimball. That anniversary September 12th, 2017, mm-hmm. and and the essay I'm writing for it um, does it is is trying to and I'm in over my head on it, trying to explore what what makes LDS art over that period, maybe different, what is it, what, what's changed over that period, and something that keeps coming back to mind is audience.
1: Mm.
0: I think that um, art is a conversation, right? Yeah. Between the person making it, people who, uh, who it's made for, or the audience that the artist has in mind, and something that we have in common with the Protestants, the Protestant Reformation, mm-hmm. when... They acted against Catholicism and decided to make images with, with people in everyday life having spiritual moments versus in some gilded, architecturally grandiose environment. Mm-hmm. Here, he has enormous respect for his audience. That's something unique to, to Mormon, Mormonism in general, I think, and Mormon art, is that you can have Maybe not unique, but something that is a huge factor. Mm-hmm. You could call this Jacob and Leah, and he knows that his audience is sophisticated enough yeah to come to it with all of that background
1: totally and if and if not, to at least be able to go and find
0: it, yeah, yeah, this painting only gets better i mean you mm-hmm. you you see and that he's put it in an everyday situation, right it's this right. idea that we're supposed to liken these stories unto ourselves. He didn't put them in some faux biblical clothing mm-hmm. and didn't need to at all. Yeah. Would it be any more effective?
1: I don't I think so. And in fact, I think it would be less effective to have it. it less Could personal. Be. And less le- for me,
0: less of a connection. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Because I think that this kind of situation... Oh, I mean, and, and I was I was reading into this, and he's got to have done his research on this. I know he's a very intellectual artist mm, very deliberate one of these things it says about leah is the reason why she wasn't wanted is because her um her eyesight was poor mm. and it's it's translated into one two ways one is she wasn't wanted because she wasn't good to look at according to the scriptures uh, yes. or she had a ba- she, she was not as desirable because she had this defect of not being able to see. Which if you live mm-hmm. in in biblical times, you don't have a lot of correctives for right. people who have poor vision. Mm-hmm. And if you're someone who who's marrying, you want you're you're checking each other's teeth. You're checking each other's right, yeah, eyes. Everything. You're checking right. to see if they can give birth or not. I mean, it's mm-hmm. all of these things which we take for granted that are almost I mean, it's, it's, they're, they almost seem really petty, but they're also not like the, it's, it's not her choice whether she has bad eyesight or not. Yeah. And he's put her in, in not the greatest of, she doesn't look like a model. Yeah. I mean, it's not
1: form fitting at all. I mean, or it's yeah. not like a, uh, anything that a model would usually
0: wear, but. And, and you, you hate, hate to objectify her. Glasses. I'm not trying to objectify a- her either. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think he's making these choices deliberately because he is not even looking at her. I think. Yeah. He he's not. I mean, he's looking
1: past her even in this, and it's uh, she's she's looking down. It's almost like a she is longing for a little bit of a connection and maybe ashamed. Yeah. About the the situation that she's in, and I can imagine her being. Maybe being excited, you know, saying I can imagine her I mean with the that seven years of work that whole time thinking like, Oh, my younger sister's gonna be married before me. And yeah. then all of a sudden you get into the and so she's probably a little excited about it. But having a husband that's not excited about it, I mean that's a that's a really complex right. situation to be put into and she
0: knows him. They've been he's yeah. been around for seven years, if yeah. not more, because they're cousins. Yeah, knows him right? just as well as um, as the whole family. And it could be, I don't know what the what he's saying here, but when I look at this, I think he's sitting down. The polite thing to do is to offer her to sit down in the chair that's there. And he's not, she's almost waiting for permission to come take a seat. Mm-hmm. And so the empty seat may be Rachel, right? Where he right. he is offering... He's—he's he's, he, that was a seat that was meant for Rachel. She doesn't feel like she can sit down. He doesn't want her to come sit down in that seat. Yeah, it's an upsetting situation. She ends up giving birth to Reuben, at um, the six of his children. Yeah, and Rachel can't have children. At least at this point, she's not able to. Mm-hmm. And so she gives up. Rachel gives up her handmaid, Bilha, who then has. I think four more children, and then the last two come from Rachel eventually, which are Joseph and and mm-hmm. Benjamin. Yeah, right. So here, I mean, this is just the most to me when I hear about this kind of polygamous relationship and how it shows up. It's it's very upsetting. Yeah, I mean, this whole situation oh, is so upsetting. Yeah, and I think that it's so it's so it's just so palpable.
1: Oh, you you go into this situation. I think that the it them being in it's almost like you could walk in your own front room. And have these two figures there and it's almost as if you know Jacob and Leah those are two names that we that you hear a lot today so it's very much people that you can say oh yeah this is what my like you wouldn't have it but you, you have your family could go through these certain kind of things or all oh, and you know the intricacies and in some way you can relate and have empathy for him um, as if there's someone that is now uh, that's this contemporary that is uh, going through it currently um, right. And that, I think is the power of this piece hmm.
0: So let's talk about you a little bit, and I want to okay. talk about you in relation to this piece, okay and which maybe not your intention. I mean, I know that you you didn't choose this necessarily because of what it said about you. um it was you were it's it struck you, you were interested in it, mm-hmm. but I see something similar at least on this maybe somewhat superficial level, okay that your work tends to show people in Daily common circumstances—is mm-hmm. that a fair thing to say about your work? That's yeah, it's very fair, very fair. And and this is a scene of common everyday circumstance that's been elevated to with yeah. with with the with the uh, imposing of a biblical narrative on top of it. Right. Yeah. But you don't always you don't you don't uh, impose clear biblical narratives on your pieces always. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you do.
1: Sometimes I do. And when I do, it's very I mean it's far and few between, but when I do it is it's very much having to be in the present day, having a having more of a connection, um, clothing that's more contemporary, um, domestic settings that are current uh, rather than um far and distant and it's not like it's out of some in an old book, like I want it to be in the room next to you.
0: Okay, so this is this is this is going to sound like a little bit of a of a uh, of, of a of a strange question. It's not a criticism. Okay. All okay. Right. I'm ready for it. I but think. this is this is me taking like a third party perspective. Okay. If I were to say, "Okay, hold on a second. You like figurative work. You're doing religious scenes, but you're not dressing them up sometimes as you're not always doing religious scenes, but sometimes you are and you're doing you're not dressing them up in biblical work. You go to China in the far east." Yeah. And you come back and they're not they don't look asian (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) so so i mean if i were to if i were to be an art historian and i were to come back and say and we're going to get to the far east and we're going to get to how you pick the subjects you do Mm -hmm. but this is i guess kind of what i'm getting at is if, if art historians love and critics love to um love to say oh yeah this person traveled to Europe, and you can clearly see where he was influenced by French painting, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't totally. feel like you could do that with you. Yeah, um, and was, I don't, I don't, I don't think I need to.
1: Yeah, as you mean, it's as far as a connection to the Far East, like that kind of. Well, a, I just mean like this connection
0: else. to the idea that you're picking biblical subjects, and you've landed on this everyday, occasionally biblical subjects. Mm-hmm. I would say always spiritual, at least in my yes. experience. Yeah. But. You know, you haven't gone the normal route of putting people in Bible clothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and normal is a, is, a, is a very broad brush, okay. right? right? You haven't put them... You've put them in everyday scenes. How did you land on that aesthetic? Uh, so
1: I think that that is, has to do with my own wanting to connect with Scripture. Maybe wanting to connect with things that are holy and things that are sacred um having my own thoughts going into a piece it's it's very centered on myself and
0: maybe that's um Can we pick a particular a specific piece? Yeah, sure. So right behind me okay. here where we're recording, Great. we've Perfect. got a work that is going to be on view at the Zion mm-hmm. Art Invitational. You're one of the 50 artists. Mm-hmm. And well and and tell us the title of your piece and describe it for us. And then let's talk about how you landed on the execution of it. Great.
1: So this piece um, is called "Teaching About Light and Dark," and it is—it's my daughter, and How my, old is myself. She? So she, in this picture, she's just over a year old, um, and so just just barely walking, uh, like pulling herself up on things, and this was a this was a moment that was obviously very I mean very personal um and and a connection that I had but I so she is there's light coming through a window um and she's she's realizing that there's a shadow on the wall that she kind of has it's like kind of has a connection to her
0: she has some control over what's happening this thing
1: is moving over there when I move my hand uh this is uh so she's realizing what a shadow is and so I bend down and I kind of am playing with her um and and Kind of teaching her about a shadow, or trying to. I don't know how you. Uh, the best I can, but so you're on the left. I'm on the left. She's on the right. She's on the right. So and your I, hands are in between, in
0: the middle, between the, the two of mm-hmm. you together.
1: Yeah, and she she's turned in towards me, and you can only kind of see the the back of my head, um, and it's mostly it's it's kind of cropped up close. So I'm crouched down on the ground. Um, and you kind of get her full figure, um, in this, in this dress. Um, so that's the piece. And so I'm always, I guess, again, coming back to being a, a kind of a sitting back and, and observing, uh, or just thinking, uh, this is kind of one of those moments that just kind of comes back and resonates uh, the, when I start teaching her about other things, um, you know, that repetition as a parent, when something new, Happens, and then all of a sudden you step in and you try and I don't know, try and educate or try and at least help them understand.
0: Do you know the moment the moment this happened? Mm-hmm. Did you know you were going to make it into a painting? Do you have no. an idea notebook? What, how does this how no. does this turn into this? So
1: a lot of a lot of times I do. It's, it's almost like I use a camera as a sketch, as a sketch uh, material. So I, I kind of as it's happening. Um, if it's something that I feel like is, is powerful, um, and that I would like to remember it, not so much that I'd like to paint it, but maybe, I don't think I'm even thinking about painting at this moment, but just thinking about this is substantial. You know, this is a moment between, uh, myself, my daughter, mainly just a moment for my daughter that she,
0: you know, it's making a big step that we would take for granted. This doesn't seem like anything that uh, is a camera shot, and and that's that's I guess part of the the soup to nuts that I'm getting at here yeah. too, is that it's it's um, it's deliberately in its perspective and in mm-hmm. its composition, mm-hmm. um, it's very deliberate I should say, yeah, and it doesn't look like a camera produced object, yeah. So there's got to be. I'm fascinated in this this happens in your mind's eye you think back at this moment do you go back mm-hmm. with a camera and try and recreate elements of it what do you do to get to the to to to, to start out the how am I going to frame this mm-hmm. where is she going to be where am yeah. I going to be how do I get this so so idea? this kind of comes I, I think that once I start once I
1: get into painting mode and I start thinking back okay so what do I want to what do I want to paint um, what can I play with today? Um, I'll look through photos that I've taken or maybe moments. And sometimes, well, most times I'll when I'm in that painting, mode, I'll say, huh? That would be meaningful to me. Um, and and if it's meaningful to me, I think it's worth painting for me. And so a lot of times it starts out with looking back through my home photo stream and it's not um and like that's kind of almost like flipping through a sketchbook if i um uh, am looking back through a sketchbook but a lot of times it does come through looking through moments have actually happened and i i don't go back and restage uh, anything i think that it, the maybe that organic feel really does it's it's suited best to not be you restaged. want it to be spontaneous. Yeah. You don't want it to be staged. Mm-hmm. And so do you, sorry, go ahead. Um, so a lot of, another thing that I'm thinking about, uh, the reasons for that is um, one of my goals when I'm painting is to not paint a moment, but to paint the memory of the moment. So, it, so it's, it's like it's a step further removed from it. And I think that's a, a lot of the times um, the surfaces get flattened out. And there's, there's not really much modeling of, of exterior surface. It's just, okay, it's enough to where it's the shape, I can get it, it's a wall. Okay, oh, here's a painting. Oh, that's a frame of a painting. Um, and it's, uh, so that's kind of where, that's what I try to, that's the feeling that I connect with is trying to make it into realizing, yeah, it's a memory. Um, and this is how I would like to leave it. I don't want to, it's not like I'm trying to, if I wanted to really bring it back, I would do an installation piece or I would do a sculpture to try and recreate it for somebody. But this is, I'm trying to get at the the feeling of a memory of the event and not the event itself. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know if you ever can get back to the event, right? There's this, uh, yeah. it's a neurological science issue. It's something that I've been fascinated by recently. And even mm-hmm. how it affects the way art is created, there's this notion that your first kiss, your memory of your first kiss, mm-hmm. is constantly migrating because every time you try to recall it, for instance, mm-hmm. this is just an example, your brain recreates the memory, and so it becomes a shadow of a shadow. It's almost like right. back when I grew up with, with uh, with with cassette tapes, mm-hmm. you get you get a recording of a recording of a recording of a recording of a recording, yep. And each time you turn to emphasize some things and de-emphasize other things. Mm-hmm to the point that if i were to go back to the person with whom i had my first kiss and we were to tell our stories we'd probably tell totally different yeah. accounts of what had happened right but both of them would be true from our perspective because mm-hmm. they'd landed on that so you're basically capturing this moment mm-hmm. that's the memory of the moment right and are you closing your eyes and thinking about it and then sketching it out do you go directly to the canvas do you do a compositional thumbnail? what do you do?
1: Yeah. So it is, it does. So it probably starts out more with a little thumbnail, um, kind of trying to getting elements, uh, from my own memory, elements from, uh, from the snapshots, uh, reference photos. Uh, and, and when it comes to starting to lay it out onto the canvas, um, I take just the the references, um, and made a little sketches and I just, I use a grid system and i just put it and just want it to be bigger it is interesting where if i were to do a sketch in front of me and then i would do and i try and reproduce it larger it is almost as if i'm i'm taking another step like you said every time you recall a memory it changes just a little bit um i want it to be as close to the first memory that I have of it. The first iteration.
0: So how yeah, that's, that's, that was my next question. How often, mm. how many sketches, thumbnail sketches do you do before you get it just the way you want it? Well, so the interesting
1: thing is, is, is not, not many. I'll, I'll go into it more. I love the idea of ambiguity, um, and going into something, knowing that I don't know that I think is something that I try and embrace in my work and I guess in my life is I can, plan it out and I can do all of this ahead of the time work, but in the moment I'll probably change it anyways. Mm -hmm. And so let's just get to it. Let's, let's live. Let's, let's, let's do this painting and let's, uh, I mean, if, if it comes to me needing to change, uh, I don't know, move a figure. Um, I almost like that, that history to be on the painting and not lost in the sketches.
0: If that makes sense. That does make sense. I wanna I wanna ask about when you talk about your life. I wanna talk. Let's talk about your life okay. a little bit. Yeah. Where are you from? So I, I, born and raised in Provo. In yeah. your biography, it says that you got a pretty uh, you, you had a, a a pretty loose childhood. Yes. Pretty unstructured. And yeah. I should mention to the listeners, by the way, that outside and what they're hearing in the background is there's a resurfacing project going on nearby. There's only so much soundproofing we can do, mm-hmm. so it'll just sound like. A starship is landing around us while we're going. Yeah. Which, is, which is okay. But That's okay. Just as long as
1: they understand that it's not and it's just normal. Yeah, it's, it's not just, my breathing.
0: Yeah. It's not mine. <laughs> it's my not God. yours either. Yeah. You grew up in Provo. You had a childhood with, very, with, with, with no bedtime, yeah. coloring on walls. That's as far as I read into your biography. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was wonderful because my parents
1: were just really letting me be who I wanted to. Who were they? What did they, what did they do? for So living? my dad, um, he grew up in Maine okay. um, and his parents just, so there. this is a fascinating, um, story separate, but they, please tell us, they left, um, the comfort of a stable job. My, my grandpa was working for a tobacco company doing, um, the agricultural, uh, different tests on the land to make sure you know, So it was really stable. It was really, you know, um, they were well off and, he said, you know what? I want to have a fingerprint on everything that I consume. I need to scale back and I need to be more deliberate. So over the course of four years, they bought a hundred acres, uh, in the Northern country of Maine out in the middle of nowhere. Um, Maine's not
0: known for being a huge agricultural outpost.
1: Yeah, no. And it's, and it's, uh, it's cold, uh, in the winter, uh, lots of snow. So it's so, it's, it takes a lot of work. Uh, but my grandparents basically as close to, um, homesteading as you can get at that time, they went out in the middle of nowhere and they built, uh, this stone house out of, you know, materials that were on the land. And my dad grew up with, uh, just like tinkering with cars and just fixing everything. Like it was, it was, uh, in a sense, just, uh, an adventure one day, the next.
0: So they're peop- they're driven by ideals. They're mm-hmm. idealistic, but they're also practical and hardworking. So they're yeah. not just dreamers; they are doers. Yeah,
1: and, um, and and even to this day, my grandpa, when we're sitting around, he'll ask, "What needs doing?" and that and all, so That's like like what needs phrase. doing
0: what needs doing
1: yeah and so it's not just sitting around it's, it's uh, let's fold laundry let's uh let's do dishes while we sit and talk like what needs doing very very practical is that
0: is that homestead or that that farm still in family hands you know it is for
1: we don't know how much longer my grandparents still live there. Okay. Um, they still do a little bit of farming, farming the land. Um, and that just for themselves. So like a, a garden, um, and was for people close by too, but not nothing that they're trying to sell and like support themselves. So it's, you know, they have uh, cold storage, uh, lots of canning. Um, and they, everything they do is to really, get them through the winter. So did
0: you grow up going there? Do you have memories of it? Yes, lots of have, memories. Do, do you have still canned food that's brought into the family? <laughs> I mean, do you, have, do you have the pickled pickled beans and the, no, and the, and the raspberries I, I, and all I don't, that kind I of stuff? I don't
1: have uh, <laughs> any of that. But but there definitely are um, lots of memories um, c- um, in correlation with that place. And, and I hope to... Um, too soon to get out there, and will we'll my wife and I are going to spend some time out there with, with uh, my daughter. Hopefully, um, get some good painting done about the about the land before uh, my grandparents are getting a little old, and so uh, there's been talk about them getting rid of it, and and that would be it would be too emotional to for me to miss it and to try and um, because I really want to pass that kind of a of an intentional lifestyle on to my to my daughter.
0: Seems well ahead of its time. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, that ahead kind of intentional of lifestyle seems like something that. that yeah. uh I mean, it's that's that's not the same thing as a hippie commune. That's um, not what we're talking about. No, but, we're, but we're, I think that they're probably a
1: little bit influ- in a little bit in the same uh, frame of mind, just trying to be a little bit more. Well, I don't free, think there's but, anything wrong with it, but, but it's, definitely. But,
0: but the idea of of uh building the the farmhouse, committing to it, and yeah, that's a that's that's something that. Uh, i the the part of the reason I said that is that mm-hmm. I've been reading a lot about uh about hippies of all things recently <laughs> and one of the one of the uh consider one of the criticisms of the hippie movement was that is that a lot of people who consider themselves hippies were up upper middle class white people who could afford to do it <laughs> right yeah. and right. that's where I think the distinction is different right here's a practical person who's going out and mm-hmm. Living off of it, and 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 uh, it seems like he was very educated. He was in farming and so forth. Yes. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. No, yeah, very educated. But at the same time, he he was living it not just as a uh, as a as a as a lawyer who goes out into the middle of the field, right? And just
1: kind of <laughs> yeah, wastes away what he has. No, this is very much. Yeah. Um, let's go and we'll, we'll. The the point of it is to to go and provide for yourself yeah. and to watch watch things grow and to get things from the ground and see that miracle that we we don't. We're so far removed from that kind of uh, from that from production of food. Uh, nowadays, it's um, I think there's a lot to be learned, a lot to be learned. And so yeah there was a lot of influence um, in my summers growing up. We would go and we would uh, just the cousins we would go uh, and live there in the summer. Sometimes I would rake blueberries. Um, uh, for, uh, for some cash at the end of the summer, I'd come back with my whatever hundred hundred something dollars and think that I was, uh, the uh yeah, it was just a, it was amazing. But, uh,
0: how did you, how did your father end up out here then?
1: So BYU. Yeah. So he came, uh, to BYU and he met, uh, my mother, BYU. So he, he went on a mission first. Um, my grandparents didn't, uh, didn't find the church until, um, the they went to some co-op and somebody was buying way more wheat than you like a, a whole big 50 pound or uh, a huge amount of wheat and the, and usually you'd buy one to share with another family um, but this person was just buying tons of it and my grandma was like what what are you doing and he said food storage and so that like it it was got, something that everybody
0: did yeah like, hey, well and,
1: and and saying said specifically like our prophet said that we need to have food storage to, you know, to be able to uh, provide like long term survive here. So that was kind of the one of the first introductions. And my grandma was looking for uh, because her mother was said, you need to take your kids to church. So she was looking for somewhere um, to um, get a spiritual education for the children. And it just kind of lined up that food storage was the thing that brought us into the, into the church. But uh, so That's fast right. forward, my dad goes on a mission to Honduras my mother went on her mission to Chile and they meet at a Spanish session in the Provo temple, um, in the, in the celestial room. And so, uh, for my dad as well, she's, she's in the celestial room and she, um, uh, speaks Spanish cause it was a Spanish, uh, session. So what else do I need to know? And he kind of just <laughs> went forward on that. And, um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, a it was that, that was the kind of life uh, that wow. we lived that it was just full steam ahead. Like, let's, let's have fun, let's work. And, um, so did both your mother and father work. Um, no, my mother was, was home with there. So the six, um, kids in the family and my, um, half of us were homeschooled. I chose to go to, uh, to go to school. Um, I wanted to, where do you
0: fit in the birth order?
1: So I am second from the top of an older sister. Okay. Um, and then me, and uh, we live uh, close to Mazer School uh, down in um, just south. Well, you, it used to be Maser School. Um, but I, I would see the kids across the street uh, playing out in the recesses. Like, I want to go to school. It's fun. So it's so, like <laughs> social experience.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's um, one of the things you do worry about when you homeschool kids. I think homeschooling is great. Yeah. But you always think, oh, we're getting a social experience. And I know a lot of people who homeschool and they work extra hard to make sure they provide that.
1: Yeah, and that's. Um, that's something that I was I was craving. So I so I ended up going to school, and it was just in third grade. But my older sister didn't go until in the tenth grade. Um, what did your dad do? So my dad, he um, originally so when they he started driving buses um, for a living. But like I said, he likes to tinker. He likes to fix things. He likes to get under hoods of cars and um, you know in water closets and or and just really you know understand the mechanisms. Um, he's a he's a uh, he's a
0: closet engineer.
1: Yes, but so he put himself in a position and in the school district to meet the right people and to be the next person in line for when the uh, head maintenance man at Provo High retired. And so, and as soon as he did, my dad went, and he has been there ever. So he's been there now for uh, almost ten years. But he was driving a bus for. Uh, must must i mean it was probably 12 this year's just waiting for because that was his dream job he yeah. wanted it and so and he put of himself in who the solves position. all
0: the problems in the background and keeps everything going
1: yeah oh and he is good at it anything any problems at all um, he That's just something when he gets in a room with a with a mechanical problem um, no, my, I mean, it's like MacGyver. Did you mm-hmm. inherit any of that? Um, so I, I didn't know until my mission when I kind of left and I went to try and do stuff, I, I kind of, I, un- I understand his process. I'm like, okay, well, let's think logically about this. There's a system the system's not working. Let's see the system. Let's understand the system and find the problem within it. Um, and I don't really have it as much as he does. But you've worked on cars and things like that? Uh, yeah, right? I've worked on cars. Um, I mean, for sure with him uh, growing up. And uh, I have a car now. Um, what do you have? Well, I mean, it's just a Forester. It's is not, this something not, you work nothing, on yourself? Nothing fancy. It's uh, something that I yeah I do all the... All, well, with him still. Which is, I think for that reason, it actually is the reason why I love working on cars is because that connection with my, with my father, um, and being able to just go over there with him and say, Hey, we need to replace this part. Okay, let's do it. Let's take a, When when did art come into your world? So when I was, I mean, probably sacrament meetings, when I was younger, my parents wanted to keep us quiet. So they just handed out notebooks. Um, and we would just draw. And I remember, um, I remember just always just filling up these lines, uh, books and, and it just kind of slowly developed. I took um, took a lot of time to just make my own work in the in, in the summers and just to kind of I pretended like I was uh, an artist that would uh, that would uh, pro- a production artist to kind of you know sell stuff and I was I didn't there, never I didn't never actually uh, sell anything. There's a lot of art in my parents' home. Um, what kind of art were you making? Well, who were so, you looking at too? Uh, oh, so there so from a young age um i love i mean the classics i love van gogh his his brushwork and the emotion the movement throughout uh throughout his his painting was something that i mean that influenced me from
0: a from a young age i feel like i grew up at a time when everybody had a van gogh yeah. book postcard poster yeah whatever it was and i felt like it was a it was a huge it was it was uh it was just a background artist that I knew that was part of my life. And then Mm -hmm. I saw one in person and totally changed my perspective on him. I always liked him. Mm -hmm. I loved him. Once I saw him in person Yeah, different experience. I imagine that growing up in, in uh, Utah Valley, maybe you didn't see one for a long time. So you were, you were this in love with him even as in the graphics, just looking at the graphic versions. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Um, And, and and to be honest, it was, um, I don't know what it was that, that drew me to him or to any uh, to really art in general. I think it was just more just, it was fun. Um, and my parents were very encouraging. I think it probably is another really big aspect of it. I think my parents saw that it was fun for me. And so they would buy me a sketch, you know, for Christmas, instead of getting me some fancy toy, they were aware and they were, okay, well let's get these couple paintbrushes and a watercolor set. And it's not something that I asked for, but they saw it in me, and so they kind of provided that. And as soon as I got it, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I love it.
0: Let's, let's do this. That's, that's interesting because I, I kind of – I don't know if you could even answer this question if that's what they were like of when did you think that it was a practical option.
1: Because
0: hmm. a lot of people do have this <clears> – <throat> you, you hear different versions of this in every realm of the arts of yeah. somebody comes to them at one point and says, if you can do anything else – then do that (laughs) yeah it's this almost ominous thing of like right oh if you have to do the arts then you oh, you i guess you have to do it but it's going to be the worst ever right right which i don't it's such a negative way of looking at the whole thing Uh and it sounds like your parents didn't set you up for that negative view at all it was yeah right i mean at what point did you think this is just this is what i'm going to do
1: yeah i mean i think that that was it was always a question of of just in, in which way. I loved ceramics. So in um, at Provo High, amazing teacher, uh, Sarah Phillips, and she is, because she, she teaches it in a way that makes you be a better person. Uh, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of... Ceramics uh, is a way of life? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She's uh, legendary. I've heard about her oh, before. Oh, she's, yeah, she is quite something. If any, anybody uh, can take a class from her, that is a class to take. Um, so I started, I, I actually ended up after my so halfway through my freshman year, uh, my, the second half, I took a ceramics class. And after that, I always took a ceramics class, whether I was her TA or whatever, because I just I loved it. And my dad, my dad was at school. He was the the um, um, at Provo High, you know, fixing stuff. And so he would come in and he would push me a little bit more and say, OK, well, let's let's go taller. Let's go let's go bigger. Let's let's um, let's try this different uh, technique. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And it was I mean, is the impact that my dad has had um in that kind of encouragement has been I think that has I still I'll send him pictures of of paintings and say, hey, what do you think about Does it? Does he have
0: an opinion about it?
1: Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. He definitely has opinions. Um and and, you're, and
0: his opinion matters, it seems like, to you. Oh
1: yeah, totally. Um but so yeah, so ceramics. I thought ceramics is that's what that's what's gonna be. And um when I got back from my mission I had uh, an opportunity to go to China, to live. Um, Where did you go? At a, oh, so I went to Taiwan. So you did speak Chinese? Yeah, exactly. So, so you're uh, speaking Mandarin. Mm-hmm. So okay. I speak Mandarin, um, and I come back. I have ceramics um, from a lot of my own, uh, my own just making my own stuff. It wasn't I mean it wasn't a, a s- too strict of a of a schedule, but it was um early mornings instead of early morning seminary going in and um
0: having just early mornings in the ceramics room <laughs> did you see the national museum in taiwan in taipei of the ceramics collection no there? okay uh, i didn't they, um, but but known for chinese culture in general known yes. for its ceramics yes yeah.
1: um it's their expressions beautiful ceramics. i mean and they have a very very long tradition right um And um, but, yeah, so so I get back. And uh, a good friend of mine's father uh, is um, producing and selling ceramic work. Um, And so he needs somebody to go over and kind of be a liaison between the company and the factory. Um, And so we lived at a ceramics factory. Who's we? So two weeks after my wife and I got married, we moved to China. We are in China. um, So this is far south, probably three hours north of Hong Kong um in a little town called huidong and we're the only foreigners only foreigners in this little town i mean it's not little maybe hundred thousand people um but it's uh little by
0: chinese standards
1: little sure. by chinese standards but also it's not like they do not have skyscrapers it's just a lot of people in, and um kind of more of a rundown town how long are you there So we were there for, uh, for almost two years and we, it was just a totally crazy different life because, I mean, but the beautiful thing is we worked together. My wife and I worked together. Uh, she was the head, you know, the the QC, uh, making sure that all the quality was right. And I helped with, uh, you know, making sure everything shipped, um, and talking through different problems. The crazy thing is though that I had every ceramic facility that I could imagine. And I painted, I didn't do any ceramics when I was there. Why? I, it was just, I don't know if it was because, Oh, are you just deliberately a contrarian?
0: Is that what it is? (laughs) No, (laughs) No, I'm kidding. uh, Uh, But no, it was just,
1: I mean, again, this is, I try and be aware of what it is that I, you know, my own emotions and painting was just the thing that was, that was calling. So what are you painting? And so at that point I'm just painting, I mean, so one of the early one of the, an earlier painting that i can remember is um a painting of my wife teaching these kids so in the summertime kids are home from school Well, their their parents don't live at home they live at the factory and so there's kids running around the factory right not doing any work uh, this that's not that kind of a factory but but not really having anything else to do so they're sitting in their parents uh little room uh, that they have and maybe watching something on some device and not, or just running around on the grounds, um, not really doing much. So my wife actually offered and put together this English class and it wasn't anything like super, um, structured, but it was more of just, let's get together. I know English. Let's go. Let's just kind of have fun. And it was just, these kids getting together, and I thought it was the most beautiful thing that
0: my wife put together. So it's a it's a personal moment. This is like the theme of, of some of your yeah. your your work. And mm-hmm. and I had you had any training in painting to this point? So I mean,
1: I took um, uh, art classes in high school, and that's kind of the that was probably more of just gave me a realm to experiment um, and to know that I liked painting. So. Figurative painting for somebody who's had just a few classes is not an easy thing to do. Well, and I remember the moment when I was sitting in my room, junior year, and it's like that. Okay, I think I want to paint a person. Let's paint this person. Okay, I think I'm going to do it. And then like saying like I'm just going to commit to it. Let's. So I pull out my paints, and I do, and I'm like, huh, that was interesting. And I I feel like it didn't turn out as bad as I thought it would, let's do another one. So I think it was more of just kind of a lot of trial and error. So at you're that experimenting point. all
0: along. Are you ever pulling out yeah. anatomy books and playing around with, um, with skeletal, skeletal structure? No. Yeah. Lymphatic it, it, system.
1: It, not this point. No, <laughs> this was all, um, I actually got my, um, first anatomy book post China. Um, um, it, up to this point it was more of, you know, sketching what I see. Um, and, know i look in my own hands i look at myself in the mirror um looking at um just i mean photographs uh, that kind of just going off of that, it wasn't not not crazy strict training uh, so what point
0: do you decide to jump into this as a career
1: so we're getting ready to to leave China, kinda of decide like, okay, I think it's time, let's let's go back. Let's, let's you keep. make
0: that decision. You just think I've I'm done with China for the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's so time this for was, the next stage. Yeah, wh- I don't me, mean to did like me and my wife. deride yeah, anything uh-huh. against China. I'm not trying to say that there was something wrong with it. Mm-hmm. But you were ready for another stage. Is yeah. that what happened? Uh-huh. Me and my wife just kinda
1: we, we said, um let's let's move on. I think it's kind of uh let's let's go, let's reconnect with family. Uh let's get let's let's be um yeah, again, let's be deliberate about life. Okay. And and we, what needs doing? He, what needs doing? <laughs> yes. Um, and so, we um, leaving there. I mean, we saved up a little bit of money, and I had painted a lot um, over uh, the summer. Uh, I would we would come back um, and visit for a little bit, and I and I brought all my paintings, and I did a backyard show, um, and that was um, that was four years ago. Um, My fourth annual backyard show is coming up actually next week, Um, but where do you hold it? By the way, we got to give a plug for it. Yeah, so that is um, unless we're not invited. Oh, you're absolutely invited. (laughs) Everybody is invited, and I try and make it just something that's fun, not not like a a really strict. You need to understand this concept to be able to understand my paintings kind of thing. No, this is I, I just get together. Basically it's like a studio show, but I do it in so it's in, in Provo, um, and on the sixteenth front I can I have we can put, we put we'll the put information. On,
0: yeah, we'll put it up okay. on the website. But it's it's coming up in a week. It's something that everybody's invited to. Mm-hmm. And how many works are you gonna have on view?
1: Um so it'll it'll be somewhere in the ballpark of thirty. Thirty works. So it's not, so, not so, a crazy.
0: Here's a question I have when I look at your work. Okay. I love your work, by the way. It's something that draws me Thank in, you. and I can't even explain intellectually why I like it so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's, I, I feel that way about... Um, there are a few artists who I feel this way about that I don't want to over-intellectualize something, mm-hmm. even though I think they're capable of being intellectualized, mm-hmm. but because I have such a strong emotional reaction to them that I want to keep yeah. that and protect it and not over, over-analyze it. Mm-hmm. But I... Something that I feel like you've landed on is, is the universal personal moment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And dignifying the everyday with a kind of sacredness. Mm-hmm. You have these, these not halos, because we don't do halos. <laughs> <in> the, <laughs> <Right>. church. <laughs> the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter Saints. If you did a circle, it would be a problem. But you do yes. these, 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 um, these gold-leafed or yellow or, or these, these golden mm-hmm. kind of uh what we we don't want to call them halos, glowing, yeah, glowing. People, um, so like little sparks, almost protuberance light. Sparks, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and I feel like um, I, I one of the questions I guess I have is this isn't something this this isn't something that you would ne- see necessarily immediately right now on the cover of an enzyme. Maybe you would, mm-hmm. right? Maybe you could, yeah. but it's not something like something that's always gone before. I guess is my point. Mm-hmm and and i hope that it is something that will be there and i can envision a future where it is or even right now it being going on there i wouldn't be surprised but i guess what i'm getting at is your your audience who's your audience where do you where do you plan on your art being seen yeah that is a good question is it something you haven't asked yourself before because uh, well, it's just been it's been finding its own natural home yeah so it does it
1: does tend to Connect. I mean, as much as it is, it's definitely paintings about me and my wife and my daughter, um, and my life. But um, as much as it is personal, it is. um, I find that other people also connect with it. I, I, I do. So so my so my one of my rules of thumb is if my wife says, "Oh, let's keep this one," I know it's a good one. (laughs) <laughs> like, that's, that's my goal. And then which you I, immediately uh, take it away from her and sell yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such a bad person. No, you're not. <laughs> um you're But no, but that it, it is when she says like, oh, this is good. I'm like, oh, good. This will be. And I, I don't know. It, it's those personal moments that I'm that I'm shooting for.
0: And. And that's kind of the, that's the goal. So, so... I love it. It's, it's the simplest premise for it is if it means something to you, you paint it. Uh If it's executed in such a way that you and she have a personal reaction to it, Mm -hmm. you did a good job. Yeah. It doesn't, you're not planning on it being on a particular wall in a particular museum Mm -hmm. in a particular publication. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's correct. And it's,
1: um, I, 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 I'm aware of I mean so so a lot of times they could be though um it's very muted I mean the colors are are pretty muted I use four colors that's just black white raw sienna and burnt sienna that's Why? that's the secret right? so originally we were traveling around different factories in China and I wanted to take paints with me um and so I just took those four and in a way I built a relationship with these colors and it was so it was so long that i was using them i was seeing the world and trying to replicate my life with these colors that all of a sudden is almost as if i started to see the world in those colors um and it's almost like a filter that i see and i really kind of think in in those colors and so you have to brand the Instagram filter, the <laughs> yeah. Sanford, the Sanford Instagram filter. We'll, we'll see. if we can get that so that it kills all the other that's colors. A terrible thing to say, um, say. but uh, um, but
0: yeah. So that's um, it's an interesting. It's interesting because the moment you restrict a, a palette, mm-hmm. there are a lot of possibilities, and you do do yeah. a lot of things in your painting with patterns, yeah. with the way that you uh, with shapes, mm-hmm. with the way that you um, structure a scene that has. Um, has a lot to do with with tone and variation in tone, but the colors, yeah. the fact that you restricted those colors yeah. does have a huge influence on the scene. In the end, yeah. we're not going to see you're we're not going to see a blue period or a green period right you now. Know, you're not you're I've, not done with these colors. I'm definitely
1: not done with them, and it, if anything, um, I'd see a period where I focus where I cut down even more, and I would say, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to do just burnt sienna, if anything. But I think that it just has, for some reason, maybe it's a connection with again wanting to paint a memory of uh, uh of something that's personal to me rather than the actual event for some reason i don't know if it's my my memory is in is in those colors i think that it's i don't know when in your memory you're not actually seeing colors it's your your brain is kind of recreating something in your mind and so it simplifies it mm-hmm. and i'm i'm okay with me ex- trying to execute something with a limited palette because I think it goes along with that that
0: whole. Frame it of would thought. that 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 matches up with studies on people who look at black and white movies and who have MRI scans. Is that they're shown something mm-hmm. in black and white versus in color? In black and white, their color, their brain becomes more participatory mm-hmm. because it starts to imagine things that aren't being shown. And it, when it's shown colors, then it then it stops participating as much. Interesting. And I don't know if that's... I'm not trying to make a grand indictment against color in art in general, but I'm just saying that that, that effect exists on a neurological level. Yeah. And for you to describe it alongside memory is a fascinating... It's a fascinating comparison. Hmm. Well, I, I'm i so grateful that, you, uh, that you'd come and talk with us. I'm yeah. excited to show everyone your work in the Zion art exhibition that's coming up. Yeah, I'm excited for it. There's That's, a
1: lot of good pieces. I, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited about
0: them. And you're you're up there, my friend. It's going to be from the 12th to the 1st of October, the 12th of September, the 1st of October. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to put information up about your backyard show. Yeah,
1: wonderful. Everybody um, should come if they'd like to. It's going to be a lot of, I mean, just low-key, lots of good food. I try to make sure that there's... Um, um, there's a friend of mine who has a catering company I just say go all out just do your thing and we do a little painting for in Art, exchange and so and it, good food yeah so that's uh, so just come and
0: enjoy it I think it's gonna be it's always fun okay and we'll put the date time and place up on our website mm-hmm. okay thank you again Colby Sanford it's yeah. been a thanks for having a, me. a privilege I'd like to thank the artist Colby Sanford for joining us for this episode of Mormon Visual Culture presented by the Zion Art Society You can see the works we discussed on our website, zineartsociety.org, under the podcast tab. In addition, you can see there more information about Sanford's show that he's having in his backyard on September 16th. I encourage you all to go. I will be there. For more interviews with artists, collectors, and scholars, subscribe to Mormon Visual Culture on iTunes. Also, go to our Facebook page facebook.com forward slash Zine society to find out more about the upcoming exhibition the gospel 50 that we're holding to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the gospel vision of the arts talk given by spencer w kimball we're having 50 works by 50 artists famous artists and they're also coming in person we have a live podcast we'll be doing with walter rain we've got panels we've got filmmakers who are coming it's going to be a big party with lots of great art you can check out all of the events and details for the show on our Facebook page. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Art Society. I'm Micah Christensen. Thank you for listening.